Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Welcome back to The Fan. Jimmy Cook and Brendan King telling you on a Friday. Happy Friday to you. Bowl season is upon us. That's right. From now until the end of the year and beyond, you can enjoy college football. We're talking about being able to enjoy World Cup action during the day. Now we got bowl season as well throughout the rest of the calendar year. Joining us now on the Mower Shop in Fishers hotline and the MowerShop.com hotline, Adam Rittenberg of ESPN, who was the first to break the news that Graham Harrell has been hired as the next offensive coordinator at Purdue to join Ryan Walter's staff for the Boilermakers. Adam, thanks so much for joining us. I know it's a busy time of year for you with the transfer portal, bowl season, and all these type of coaching moves. Uh, what were your initial thoughts on the move? And uh, congrats on getting the scoop yesterday. Well, thanks. Uh, you know, I talked with Ryan Walters the day he got hired. I guess that was Tuesday. And, you know, I think he's very aware of the fact he's taking over of a program that's known mainly for offense and for quarterback play. And, you know, he's the first primarily defensive coach that Purdue's hired since the early 80s. And you know, he said, listen, if, if you think you're gonna, we're going to run the power eye around here, like, like that's not what's going to happen. And, and obviously you learned last night that um, they are going to run a, a system that's seemingly more in line with what Jeff Brom did and, and kind of in line with, with Purdue's tradition of, of making it about the quarterback and throwing the ball around. And you know, I don't know if it'll be the exact same air raid as, as Mike Leach ran or that Graham played in at Texas Tech, but I think that's going to be the focal point of the offense. And, you know, whenever a defensive-oriented coach gets hired, you you do wonder naturally about the plan on offense, and Ryan Walters wasted no time in in showing us what his plan is, at least initially with the Graham Harrell hire. Hey, Adam, this is Brendan. I think over the last few days we've read all into the stats of what Ryan Walters did to lead the defense at Illinois, but just how good in the grand scheme of things were the fighting Illini under Coach Walters that he can now bring to West Lafayette? Right. Well, I mean, this is the top defense in the country for most of the year, um, you know, and, and, and still is in some categories, really top three, top five in most of the major categories. They've had several stars emerge. Devin Witherspoon, who's an All-America cornerback. Uh, you know, they weren't a defense that we knew much about individually going into the year. They'd lost some good players off of last year's crew. And, you know, we figured, okay, this is a, a decent defense, but it turned into an excellent one. And, and that's, uh, that's largely due to, to Ryan and his work. So um, I think he's a guy who had some coordinator experience coming in from Missouri, but really clicked with Brett Bielema and the Illinois program. And even though he's not a Big Ten guy per se, he spent a couple of years in the conference and and really th- you know likes the fact that you can play defense in this league and and it's still it's still valued and and uh, you know I know he was really excited about the opportunity at Purdue. So um, you're definitely a fast rising coach on the defensive side of the ball, but 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 someone who who's seen by a lot of people around the country as as a you know a, an exciting on-the-rise head coach, probably would have been the choice at Colorado if it wasn't Deion Sanders. Adam, with Graham Harrell joining the fold and obviously his time at West Virginia over the last three years uh, had the same role as the OC uh, at USC. For Purdue fans that are anxious and really excited to see what uh, this new 
era is going to look like and what they're going to look like on the offensive end. What can Purdue fans uh, expect from uh, Coach Harrell? Obviously, recruits uh, withheld because we don't know the pieces that are going to be put together there. But uh, what type of styles can Purdue fans expect out of Coach Harrell? Well, I think ideally it'll be more like, you know, the, the, the best Graham Harrell team, I think, was the 2019 USC team um, when, you know, Keaton Slovis was the quarterback and they set all sorts of passing records at USC. I think the, the, the concern at times is, you know, how much is he going to run the ball? And, you know, Devin Mockaby, we all saw the great video with Ryan Walters giving him a scholarship and he had a great season you know, helping produce run game, you know, how much is he going to be used in, in Graham Harrell's offense? That's an interesting question. You know, I thought this year at West Virginia, it was up and down. You know, they, they weren't able to stretch the field as much as, as I know, you know, Graham wants to do. And, and I thought it was, you know, kind of an okay, but not great season for JT Daniels, their quarterback, who, by the way, is in the transfer portal, as is Keaton Slovis. So, you know, one of those two might end up reuniting with Graham Harrell at, at Purdue, or it could be somebody else. But it is a pass-oriented scheme. You know, you saw that. Uh, anyone who was who reviewing the Mike Leach tributes this week and, and just from a schematic standpoint knows that that's a pass-oriented, quarterback-oriented offense that's going to throw it around a lot. Um, but I think how he incorporates the run game will be really interesting. How he incorporates the, the, the personnel that, that he inherits there at Purdue is going to be really interesting. But I, I think it does fall in line you know, somewhat with, with what Jeff Brom did previously. It's not the exact same system, but it's one that's certainly built around the quarterback position. Adam was just about to talk about Daniels and Slovis being in the transfer portal. And with Graham Harrell going to West Lafayette, Jimmy and I have talked about a lot over the last couple of days, recruiting at Purdue and how already difficult it can be, but maybe becoming even more difficult when the likes of UC- USC and UCLA join the Big Ten. But having a young guy like Walters there that clearly has the energy and then bringing in Harrell that seemingly has a pretty attractive scheme to a quarterback, is this going to help Purdue recruiting from a game plan and on-field standpoint, the fact that these two are in the Purdue program? Well, I think it has a real chance to. I think the energy that Ryan's going to bring, I think he's a very – he told me about – I asked him, like, what's your greatest strength? And he talked about being organized. I think that's a really important thing for a first-time head coach. And, you know, organized and aggressive and being able to you know, use that youth um, in, in recruiting and with, with the transfer portal, making it an attractive destination for uh, recruits is going to be important because, as you guys know, you know, the state of Indiana, really good high school football there, but it's not going to supply you an entire roster. You have to be able to go to either the Chicago area, which Purdue's done well, or to different areas of the country historically. You know, Purdue had, had great success in Texas. could certainly see Graham Harrell being a Texan helping that effort. Um, you know, and it is more of a national game there. You know, Ryan Walters grew up in L.A. I mean, I think it, you know, th- those connections could end up helping Purdue just from a – recruit and, and transfer standpoint. But I, I, I think the fact that they're not having a major departure from, you know, sort of the offense identity under Brom uh, going to a defensive oriented coach and Walters is going to help with, with some level of continuity, but you know, it's always, it's always hard that first kind of transition to, you know, keep as many recruits on board and try to enhance your class. And I'm really inter- interested to see what, what Ryan and Graham and, and whoever else comes aboard uh, is able to do here in the, in the immediate. Adam Rittenberg, nice enough to join us. You can follow Adam on Twitter at ESPN Rittenberg. He's joining us via the Mower Shop and Fishers hotline and the MowerShop.com, the Mower Shop for all your residential and commercial mowers, snowblowers, apart, uh, uh, equipment tools, and so much more. They have you covered. Adam, zooming out, 
big picture here for just a second. Uh, the news announced earlier this week that the NCAA is tapping Governor Charlie Baker as its next president. Uh, NCAA has been kind of uh, up and down as a body, and I probably put that a little kindly the last couple of years. Uh, what does Baker stepping into this role uh, maybe change about the direction the NCAA is going to appear over these next couple of years and what the overall impact on college athletics will be? Well, I think it shows that the NCAA recognizes a lot of their key battles are going to be, you know, kind of outside of the academic setting, you know, in Washington, um, you know, legally. And those are areas that, that obviously Governor Baker has expertise in. And I think it sort of follows a pattern of uh, major leadership hires in college athletics being people that weren't career administrators in either athletic departments or at the university level. You know, so you look at the commissioner hires recently. I didn't know Brett Yormark was going to be on the radar for the Big 12 or Kevin Warren. Didn't know the name Kevin Warren, honestly, before the Big 10 hired him. Didn't know the name George Klyovkov before the Pac-12 hired him. So that's three of the five power commissioners. And then, you know, now you have, uh, you know, a, a politician and, and at times a CEO and healthcare companies um, becoming the, the head of the NCAA rather than a university president, which it's always been. So I think it just signifies how different the issues are uh, facing the NCAA and some of the arenas where you need somebody that has that level of know-how and is comfortable you know, being in Washington, which Charlie Baker certainly will be, um, or in some of these legal uh, uh, situations that, that have got the NCAA in trouble here recently. So, it, it, you know, while the name was surprising, it, you know, I, I think maybe we all should have been thinking, okay, th- th- it's not going to be a traditional hire because they're not dealing with traditional problems. It's ESPN's Adam Rittenberg with us. Adam, I'm a guy that works up in South Bend during the summers doing baseball, but that town obviously surrounded by Notre Dame football. Uh, Do you get the sense that Marcus Freeman's team is a quarterback away type deal from really competing for the playoff, or are there more things that need to be addressed here this winter? I I think it's quarterback, excuse me, and wide receiver. Like those are positions that have to be upgraded going forward. And honestly, the receiver position has been down for some time. And so Marcus is doing really well in recruiting. Um, I, I do want to see what they can do specifically at wide receiver because you know, under Brian Kelly at the end, they were a great offensive line program, really good defense. You know, a couple of their defensive uh, coordinators have gone on to become head coaches, including Marcus Freeman moving over uh, at Notre Dame. And, and tight end. Your tight end has been an awesome position. Michael, Michael Mayer is going to be a great tight end in the NFL, and Notre Dame's really going to miss him. They have missed, 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 missed at wide receiver. They have not had enough at that position. So that, to me, is going to be the, the position to watch uh, alongside quarterback, which you know it's pretty clear Notre Dame's going to be active in the transfer portal to try to improve at that position, which they did to their credit with Jack Cohn coming in from Wisconsin a couple of years ago. But if they want to compete at a higher level, they're going to need a, a guy, a quarterback that, that is, you know, at the, you know, Bryce Young, um, Caleb Williams, you know, those types of quarterbacks. Uh, if, if they're going to really make some noise, even when the playoff expands and you would expect Notre Dame to be in that mix more often. So I think Marcus is, o- is upgrading the overall recruiting but if I'm a Notre Dame fan, I really want to know what's going to happen at quarterback, and I really want to know what's going to happen at wide receiver. 
Adam, bowl season officially gets underway. Last question I had for you on my front. I know you're covering a tons of different instances around college football, but just in terms of your personal preference, uh, is there any non-college football playoff bowl game that, that's enticing to you or that, that, that I can follow you along and get behind uh, throughout bowl season that you're looking forward to? Yeah, and I like all the New Year's Six matchups. I mean, um, opt-outs are going to affect them. You know, Clemson-Tennessee is a fun one. A lot of orange at the Orange Bowl. Um, I, I really love the Kansas State story, and them going against Alabama is going to be fun just to see if you're going to get, you know, which Alabama team you're going to get in that game and obviously which players are going to show up for them in a non-CFP uh, uh, bowl game. If you want a really good group of five matchup, the one today in the Cure Bowl is outstanding. you got two conference champions. Uh, in in Troy and UTSA, you know Troy's coach John Sumrall won the conference, the Sun Belt, in the first year he was there. Uh, uh, Jeff Trailer at UTSA has won the last two Conference USA titles. They're going into the American Conference, and I'll, I'll say this: the, the next time Texas A&M or Texas has an opening, I, I, I bet you it's going to be Jeff Trailer. I, I think he's going to be the next big time coach in the state of Texas. Or it's going to be Sonny Dykes, who obviously had a great season this year at TCU. So, um, yeah, I would certainly check out that one later today. Looking forward to tracking it. Appreciate the recommendation and really appreciate you making time for us today, Adam. Okay, thanks for having me on. Thanks, Adam. That's Adam Rittenberg of ESPN. Nice enough to join us on the Motor Shop in Fishers hotline. You can follow him on Twitter at ESPN Rittenberg. And again, you can go to the Motor Shop in Fishers or themotorshop.com for all your residential and commercial mowers, as well as snowblowers, parts, equipment, and so much more. The Motor Shop has you covered. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Eddie knows how to play to the heartstrings of the great white north of Minnesota. Some more Prince. We had Paul Allen on earlier this week. Joining us now. Here in the DriveHuber.com studios and on the Motor Shop in Fisher's hotline and the MotorShop.com is Alec Lewis, beat writer for the Vikings for The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at Alec underscore Lewis. Alec, first off, thanks so much for making some time with us just before game day. And additionally, uh, you had a piece up in The Athletic recently on Justin Jefferson. We've talked about him, as you would expect, a number of times throughout the week, uh, not just myself because he's on my fantasy team and I have to disclose that like stock options but uh, just just how impressive has this two-year run been for Jefferson indescribably impressive I mean it is to watch him every Sunday is a it is a treat it's something um, obviously you know you cover this team objectively but but to be in attendance to see him do what he's done on a weekly basis is something I don't think I'll ever forget been really grateful for it and the way he's done it I, I said this earlier this morning on the radio here locally, but I, I nationally, for as highly as he was drafted in fantasy football leagues and as, as much as he has been talked about, I still don't think the national fear, football spear, fear, excuse me, realizes what he's navigating on a weekly basis in terms of coverage and how he's still uh, dominating in spite of that. So it's uh, he's a special player. I'm sure both folks will see that tomorrow. Hey, Alec, it's Brendan. After last week in Detroit, I'm sure you've seen at least the media portions of practice this week. How locked in, seemingly, has everybody on the Minnesota side been since that Detroit loss? Yeah, I think there there was a 
different type of um, intensity, but also just like a tense vibe for a team that's 10 and three. I mean, I, I was going to ask you this. I guess I'm curious, like, how people in another market view the Vikings right now I, I, because they are 10 and three and they are the number two seed currently in the NFC. But here locally, I mean, it seems it feels kind of like sky is falling with how bad the defense has been over the last four, four or five weeks. So I, I, don't, I was kind of curious, like, for people who are viewing it from afar, how the perspective. Well, we don't get asked questions often, so we appreciate it. But uh, <laughs> no, I, I think I think this should tell you everything you need to know that here at the fan we do a weekly pick 'em for our final scores or what we think is going to happen in the game. There are eight, eight people that get asked about scores, and everybody here has picked the Vikings. So sure. I, I, I don't think. <laughs> any side of defensive weakness is being shown to us and especially the fan base but it's another thing Alec about everything that has happened here this year with the firing of Reich the hiring of Saturday on yeah. an interim basis and then there's been, man there's been a distraction everywhere of course with with whether Chris Ballard's going to be here next year so I think that's been the focus for everybody but I mean I th- I think everything that jumps off the page, Alec, when it comes to you guys and what the Vikings do is just the juggernaut offense when you compare a Dalvin Cook and Alex Madison, a Adam Thielen with a Justin Jefferson and a guy that distributes the ball like Kirk Cousins. Yeah, there's no question. And it's an interesting perspective. From afar, I mean, viewing that situation has just been very interesting. And obviously, our, our cult riders, Zach Kiefer at, at the Athletics, phenomenal. So, um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, this offense has been it's, – it's interesting. They, they, they're running a totally different scheme this year under first-year coach Kevin O'Connell. And I think the first part of the season, it was a lot of trying to figure out kind of how, how much has Kirk Cousins, um, like, transitioned to, to operating this scheme. There's a lot of pre-snap uh, – there's a big pre-snap responsibility that Kirk Cousins has to re- view coverage on passing down, but also to kind of make checks in the run game. And I think over the last few weeks and really specifically Sunday, the way Kirk operated and having uh, the targets like Justin Jefferson, but also TJ Hawkinson, who was acquired um, before the deadline, it it feels like the offense has kind of come together in a way that, that uh, is probably not very fun to game plan for if you're an opposing defense. Alec, kind of flipping that question on you, uh, Jeff Saturday is still out here handing out 3% playoff chance t-shirts to us. Uh, what's the overall vibe in Minnesota on a Colts team that is reeling that most of the fan base, I'd like to think, wants this season to be over and a nice high draft pick to be in their pocket? <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the Viking fans expect to win this week, and I think like I, I mentioned earlier, there has been a vibe around the defense, the Vikings' defense about uh, just the amount of yards they've given up. They've given up 400 yards, I believe, to opposing offenses in five straight weeks, which I believe is a franchise record. So I think people here feel like this is a good opportunity against Matt Ryan and this Colts offense to, to get right. Uh, I say that. And I also know that if, if Matt Ryan and, and, and Michael Pittman and Alec Pierce and these guys find success, I think it, it would even probably exponentially raise the, the feeling of um, insecurity about the defense. So it'll, it, it's interesting. I think people here understand and have 
um, probably felt a lot of uh, felt like a lot of opposing fans watching what has happened there. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's an interesting contest that I think a lot of people here expect the Vikings to win and uh, and secure the NFC North title. Alec, I think when it comes to a national perspective, though, a lot of people view the Vikings as juggernauts, obviously being a 10-win team, a chance to finish off the division. But it's been compelling to hear what you've said about maybe the local concerns for the team. So what's one reason that you think this team could be built to go to a Super Bowl? And what's reason? what's one reason that you think that they could struggle to get to that point? Yeah, one reason is the guy who wears number 18. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, again, like, I, I don't really you, – you turn on the tape and you just watch this guy move and you watch the hits he absorbs and you watch him split double teams, you watch him high-point passes. I mean, I, there was a stat earlier this week that I came across. I think Justin Jefferson has accounted for, like, 43.5% of the Vikings' passing yards, and that's the most one player – has accounted for of their team going back to, I think, 2012, Brandon Marshall, something crazy like that. So uh, if there's one reason they are capable of, of kind of doing what, what Vikings fans here, I think, are probably skeptical that they're capable of doing, it, it's him. Uh, the defense is is the reason that is the thing I think that, that everybody around here, here feels like they could hold them back. I mean, they've... There's a first-year regime, both at general manager Kwesi Adolfo-Mensa and head coach Kevin O'Connell, and, and, and their defensive coordinator, Ed Donatel, has been around the league for a long time. Um, his scheme is very Vic Fangio-oriented, where they want to limit explosive plays and, and force the opposing team to just play another down. The problem is they haven't limited explosive plays. There's been, like, huge gaping swaths of, of space in the defense that, that for weeks just have gone uncovered. Guys like Mac Jones threw for 300 yards, Mike White threw for 300 yards. So the defense right now, um, specifically the passing defense, is I think the, 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 the quality of this team that could really hold them back when it matters most. Alec Lewis, nice enough to join us today via the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline. Go to the Motor Shop and Fishers or the motorshop.com for all your residential commercial mowers, as well as snowblowers, power equipment, tools, and so much more at the Motor Shop and Fishers and motorshop.com. You can follow Alec on Twitter at Alec underscore Lewis. He's the beat writer for the Minnesota Vikings on The Athletic. Alex, you mentioned what something that in years past might have been viewed as a hang-up for the Vikings. And for me, I, I hate to say this, but I was never all in on Kirk Cousins. I've always felt like sure. he's had limitations. That's not to say that he hasn't still sh- shown those this year. But across the board, very, very impressive season from him. Seventh in passing yards, uh, tied for 10th in passing touchdowns, uh, threw 425, two touchdowns a week ago against Detroit in the loss. Has it been all O'Connell, or what's been the biggest key to kind of unlocking an impressive Kirk Cousins this season? Well, I'll say this. He's coming off the best game of the season by far, the best game he's played. He's also, I mean, it's funny you list those rankings, those stats, but he's talked for a lot of this season how he's finished some of these games and and got in the car and, like, on the drive home afterwards, he's like, man, I am not playing well, and we're winning these games. And and though he hasn't turned the ball over a ton, I mean, I think there, if you watch this Vikings team on a week-to-week basis, there do seem like they, they go quarters where just 
the thing struggles offensively um, and they, they sputter out. So, I, I mean, I think the, the recent success has just come with comfort in the scheme. I think TJ Hawkinson's addition has helped. I think uh, just Kirk's grown, growing trust and the fact that he can throw it up to Justin Jefferson at any spot on the field and Justin will come down with it uh, has helped. But, but I, I mean, the one thing that I, I don't – I mean, your opinion on Kirk Cousins in terms of, like, not really sure – I mean, that Vikings fans here locally have shared that for years. And the one thing I don't think he's ever gotten enough credit for is his durability. I mean, he's taken more hits, QB hits this year than any other quarterback. That includes guys who run the football. Um, I mean, the, the, he's just gotten <laughs> just obliterated a lot of these games. And he, he, he gets up um, and he, he hasn't missed the game. So I think um, here locally, that it's 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 grown him. It's it's a, I guess rewarded him a little bit more respect from from a lot of people. Just the amount of toughness that he's shown this entire season. Whether it's audiobooks or all time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob two hundred milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Alec, I know the Vikings are built to win now for what you would think to be a long time with Justin Jefferson being so young and Kevin O'Connell looking like a very, very impressive young head coach. But how crucial is it to try and take care of business right now when it comes to winning as much as you can when you take into perspective that when you look at the NFC North, it won't be long, you would think, before the Bears are competing if Justin Fields works out. The Detroit Lions all of a sudden look like they're back, and you can't count on the Packers struggling as they have this year for multiple years at a time. So just how crucial is it to try and take care of business when you have this window, especially in the division? Oh, it's it's incredibly important. And, um, I mean, you said they're built to – they do have a lot of pieces, but they're, they're in an interesting cap situation. Uh, there are multiple players like Dalvin Cook and Eric Kendricks and others that they're going to have to make decisions on after this season. Adam Thielen's contract's an interesting one. So, yeah, I mean, they, they rarely do you find yourself in this division with the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers playing football where, where you have a chance with games remaining to lock up a division title and, and, and have home field advantage. So for the Vikings to take advantage of it um, would just be gigantic. I, I, I think, I mean, for Kwesi Adofa Mensa and Kevin O'Connell's first season to have uh, already stacked 10 wins is a, is a really positive sign with, with them kind of running it back with much of the same core. So to, to seize this opportunity, there's no doubt um, they, they, they need to do it. They must do it. And that's, obviously starts with beating a team with an interim coach who had never coached before uh, 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 further than high school football. Alec, Brennan and I were discussing this uh, to start the show, trying to find avenues and paths to the Colts, potentially pulling off a, a surprise upset, which would defy everything that I've seen out of them over the course of this season. But either way, we try to power through and find that answer. Uh, sure. Brendan and I, one of the best suggestions we had, which is, I think, the key to life for anybody that plays the Vikings, find a way to limit the amount of times Justin Jefferson gets in the end zone. I know that's a, an ingenious concept, but it's one that the Colts passing defense has shown capabilities to do. It's been the one bright spot of this Colts team as a whole has been the defensive end. Uh, 
Is that plausible against how well Jefferson's playing? And if it is, how much more would the Vikings be willing to lean on uh, the tandem of uh, Alexander Madison and um, uh, Dalvin Cook? Yeah, I don't really think it's plausible. I <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Either. Just to be clear, I don't either. But yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's interesting, too. You mentioned Dalvin Cook, Alexander Madison. I mean, the, the Vikings run game has been pretty putrid, I think, over the last month as well. I, there was a stat that I, I found after the game, the Vikings lost to the Lions last Sunday, that the Vikings have actually had, on a percentage basis, more negative or, or zero-yard runs than any other team in the NFL over the last, I believe, five weeks. So the running game has not been reliable. It'll be interesting to see how that looks against this Colts defense. Um, but, I mean, if, if you're talking about other ways in which the Colts might be able to to, to push the Vikings to the brink here, I mean, I think a lot of it is going to rely on can receivers like like Pittman and Alec Pierce and, and, and their tight ends find open space. And, and the Vikings have also struggled mightily against play action. And so um, it's something Matt Ryan has done over the course of his career. I haven't watched enough Colts film to, to, to say whether he's done it enough or successfully this season, but um, I mean, I think that it, it starts there. I mean, if the Vikings defense does not tighten up, they're gonna <laughs> these games are probably gonna be close, regardless of opponent. And I think the Colts would have a chance for sure. Alec, you talked about earlier the defense for Minnesota and how maybe it's been a bit shaky. Well, injury report: five guys questionable for the Vikings. Four of them defensive: Phillips, Jones, Hunter, and then Cam Dantzler. Would you say out of all of those, Dantzler maybe is the most concerning if he does have to miss tomorrow afternoon? Uh, no, I don't think so because Cam Dantzler has, um, there, there have been elements of the season that have been impressive and his athleticism is impressive and he's made a couple plays, but he's also blown a lot of assignments and coverage just to be very frank. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's part of the reason the past defense has had such, such issues. I mean, Patrick Peterson, though he is, is aged and he's not his, Fry self has been really, really good and really stout on the outside. But other than that, the Vikings have just had a revolving door on that side. So I think I I don't know if that would be the player I would choose. I would probably choose Daniil Hunter on the edge. I mean, the fact he popped up late in the week with a neck injury on the injury report is a little concerning. He's also just um, not had the type of sack production that I think everyone everyone around here would have hoped he would have. And there are probably a, ro- a lot of reasons for that. But the reality is for this defense to be better, they need a better pass rush as well as tighten coverage. And so to not have Daniil or really Patrick Jones behind him, they, they, those would both be pretty, pretty tough. Alec, Brendan is a massive Cubs fan. And I bring that into the conversation because where is this going? You asked us earlier (laughs) where the national perspective was on the Minnesota Vikings. I have a nephew that lives up in Minnesota. Uh, The reason I believe you asked that is because there's so much scar tissue around this organization, uh, particularly in the playoffs. Uh, How accurate am I with that comparison? And and is that kind of how the vibe is around Minnesota? It's like, yeah, that's great. But uh, the other day, what's going to happen to the playoffs? Yeah, that's funny you brought up the – I thought you were going – before I covered the Vikings for the Athletic, actually, which is my first year this year, I covered the Kansas City Royals for three years. So hey, I thought no we one. were going baseball. I thought we were going baseball talk. I could have hopped right into it. <laughs> it would have been good to go. Um, scar tissue exists in a major way. I mean, I, I'm from Alabama originally. Like I said, I covered the Royals for three years for the Athletic. 
Um, but, I mean, <laughs> the Minnesota sports fan has had a tough go, and the Vikings specifically have just not given them a ton of reasons to have optimism when things are kind of looking fairly good. I mean, obviously people here are pumped about Justin Jefferson, and, and, and I think they, they really enjoy Kevin O'Connell's new energy. But um, just from like a, a, a team-wide perspective, it, it's hard for people to buy in. I mean, week two they went to Philadelphia – and got smashed on Monday Night Football, and so people lost faith. Then they, they beat Buffalo in the absurd game, and I think people are like, all right, maybe this team is capable. And then Dallas beat them, I believe, 40-3 to at home. So it's just it feels like I think the, the fans here have been through such whiplash um, that, that they act the way they do and believe. And, and, and I guess uh, they, 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 test, um, they are tested why, uh, the amount that they are. Uh, that's awesome, Alec, that you got to cover baseball for three years. I, I call games in the Cubs system um, and for their TV network, Marquee Sports Network. So it's uh, being in a clubhouse every day is a whole lot of fun. It sounds like you've gotten some great experiences at the Athletic with the Royals and, and now the Vikings. Uh, my, my last question is a bit uh, of a reach, too. Uh, so being from Alabama, as you just said, now in the state of Minnesota, I mean, the state of Minnesota is the state of hockey. So have you gotten into hockey at all since you've been up in Minnesota? funny i uh i was driving around yesterday after i left the facility and i was like i was going to a store to pick something up and there was like a bauer hockey experience store and i'm just <laughs> like thinking i'm thinking in my head like can i imagine a hockey experience store in alabama it's the most absurd thing in the world i didn't go inside and i haven't gotten into it a ton but like i i i, I will say i've been to a, a ton of i mean i went to the university of missouri i, I went to a bunch of blues games yeah. in st louis while i was around in that in down in that area so I, I I love going to hockey games. I haven't watched a ton of it on TV. I need to get to, to uh, Excel to watch the Wild and, and, and Kirill Kaprizov for sure. But, no, I haven't gotten into it a ton. It's been a lot of uh, – as much as I probably like to, um, I, I want to go to the state hockey tournament. Yep. But I'm, I'm not, like, against it. I'm not, I'm not like, like this, what is this dumb sport. I can watch any <laughs> of these things and probably – probably love it um if i really got into it but i'm focused on this team and this this defense that fans here are screaming about well when you get to playoff time in minnesota i mean that's a fun team and that's a great build i've been in that building once uh i mean Kirill the thrill is unreal to watch i mean flurry's your yeah. goalie you just acquired ryan reeves i mean that dude is so much fun to watch i mean he, he just beats the crap out of people so that's gonna be a lot of fun especially that you know playoffs are gonna be after the season for you in minnesota as you get ready for the draft so i'm sure there will be something for you to watch at all times no doubt no i'm, I'm looking forward to i mean we have michael russo is arguably the best hockey writer in america and and he lives here locally and just added another hockey writer on the wild joe smith so i mean it's uh, I'm fortunate in that if I'm if I'm seeking information about the teams here locally or needing to get around a hockey game, I, I've got two people to reach out to pretty close. But I'm I'm excited about it. I uh, it's it's a cool a cool sports town with a lot of pride in their teams and and expectations. That's for sure. Alec, last question on my end, and I forgot to ask this to Paul Allen. I should have. I dropped the ball there. Uh, if you're a Colts fan that's going to Minnesota, first off. God bless you for going to Minnesota to bring a jacket. Yeah, a lot of snow up there. Uh, definitely do. But but if you're traveling for the Colts, I, I tip my cap to you wholeheartedly. Uh, <laughs> Ju- Ju- Juicy Lucy uh, is the go-to uh, 
my go-to food item whenever I'm in Minnesota. Uh, you now live there, obviously, covering the team. Are you a Matt's guy? Are you a 5'8 guy? Have you had the Juicy Lucy while you were in uh, Minnesota? For those who don't know, it's a burger with, uh, with liquid cheese in the middle. Yeah, I'm a Matt's guy, 100%. Yes. I went, like, one of the first days I was here. I just thought the place was, was very cool. It was very fun. It, 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 is, a, it is a good item. Um, but, no, Minnesota, if you're coming and you're a Colts fan and coming to this game at U.S. Bank Stadium – Bravo, first of all, for sticking with your team uh, like that. But you'll love U.S. Bank Stadium. It was one of the most um, enjoyable venues that I've covered a game in, so should be fun. But, no, Matt, yeah, if you're here, definitely grab a Juicy Lucy and Matt. I'm, I'm all in. Right there with you. I appreciate you making time for us, Alec. Appreciate your work, and uh, good luck the rest of the way, and uh, enjoy the ride for Minnesota. Of course. Thank you guys for having me enjoy the game. And who knows, every Vikings game is close, so uh, – <laughs> Hold your breath down the wire. Hey, a three and a half. Uh, too much? Uh, just right. Okay. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Alec. <laughs> Thanks, Alec. Yeah. That is Alec Lewis, Vikings beat writer for The Athletic. Take some time with us on the Motor Shop in Fisher's Hotline and themotorshop.com. Go out there at the Motor Shop and Fishers, themotorshop.com for all your residential or commercial mowers, well as snowblowers, parts, equipment, and so much more. <laughs> Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Big one tomorrow for the Indiana Hoosiers. Taking on the Kansas Jayhawks at 1651 Naismith Drive, also known as Allen Fieldhouse in Lawrence, Kansas. On his way there right now, is our pal Jeff Rabjohns from Pigs.com. Jeff, glad to join you on the highway and the drive. Hope that's going well. And I think the thing that everybody wants to know right now, Jeff, is the status possibly of Jalen Hochefino. Yeah, I think right now, um, if we were talking in NFL injury parlance, I think I'd probably lean toward putting him in, in the probable list. Um, you know, that's just, just my opinion based upon some things that I've heard. Um, but that, that, that's kind of where I would put him. You know, he uh, he wasn't going to play at uh, at Las Vegas. Um, you know, he, he went through. You know, he really didn't do much even in the walkthrough before the game. You know, just some stretching, some light shooting, but didn't even really participate in the walkthroughs. So he knew he wasn't going to play there. But uh, right now, um, yeah, I'd probably say probable. But but again, you know, uh, it's a back issue. You know, he's he's got a. You know, they're they're in the air right now. They're in the flight, you know, so he's going to have to get it all stretched out tonight. He's going to have to feel good tonight. You know, he's going to have to feel good tomorrow during, during the shoot-around before the noon game. Um, but right now, I would probably lean towards saying I'd put him on the list uh, at probable. You know, Jeff, it's interesting to look at IU and how veteran-led they are, especially in the post, but just how much this freshman Hood Shafino impacts things positively for Mike Woodson's team. What does he bring to IU on the court that they're without most when he's not? A real heady, real steady, six foot five, strong point guard who functions very well under duress. You know, when you press him, maybe try to trap him, run him, jump him, uh, he stays calm and, and he can function. Um, you know, when uh, when Xavier Johnson went out of the game against Arizona last weekend out there in Vegas, uh, Arizona immediately went on a 17-0 run. 
Uh, if Jalen Hutchfino's out there, Indiana doesn't give up a 17-0 run um, because it would it would put the ball in Jalen Hutchfino's hands. And I also think he helps Xavier Johnson because that way Xavier can play off the ball some, can, can hunt shots, can hunt drives, and you can just have Jalen bring the ball up, get, get everybody situated, um, get everybody into what they're running. Um, and he's got really good speed and vision. You know, he, he's he's not a blow-by guy, but he's got, you know, underrated speed. Um, he's got the ability to to be strong with the ball. You know, he's he's six five six six, a little over 200 pounds, you know, real difficult to take the ball from. He just gets the team into its offense possession by possession. Uh, and that's the thing that, that I think he brings that matters the most in the court. Jeff, Brennan and I were debating this earlier in the week – is it worrisome at all? People talked about going into the season how much depth there was along IU's roster from top to bottom, being able to, I don't want to say utilize, to, to steal a phrase from, from the Kentucky ranks of the platoon system, but, but have great weapons off the bench. Is it concerning at all how much reliance is on Hood Shafino this early in the season, or is it merely just he was a, ma- a massive fill-in piece for what was missing a year ago? Of course they're relying on him. Yeah, I don't think it's really a concern. I think it's just the fact that he is so good at such a critical thing, which is, you know, being the point guard and, and running the team. And he's also very good defensively. But I think his biggest thing is just running the team. And, you know, Indiana has Xavier Johnson, who, who does fine and has done very well. Um, but like in the Arizona game, when he gets in foul trouble, you know, Indiana doesn't really have somebody else to, to put out there who's a true point guard. Um, you know, asking asking – you know, Trey Galloway and some of those other guys to to, to handle Kirk Arissa, not fair. They're, they're just not that not ready to handle, you know, one of the nation's top point guards. Um, Jalen Hutchfino is. So it, it's just a, it's a critical position. Um, and, uh, you know, the fact that Indiana does have two point guards is one of the things that, you know, is one of the reasons they're a top 15 team in the country. Um, and that's 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 a really important piece. Jeff, talking about the Jayhawks, Bill Self's team, is there something that you think IU matches up well with and also maybe something that can give them problems? Um, well, I mean, there's a lot of things that could give them problems. Um, you know, I had a chance to watch them in person when they were here here in Indy earlier in the year. And, you know, certainly Jalen Wilson's scoring ability out there uh, on the wing as a driver at six foot eight. <clears throat> Excuse me, that that's that that's that's a problem. Uh Kevin McCuller, you know, is, is certainly another helpful guy at six foot six. Uh Grady Dick's shot making yeah. as, as a three point shooter at six foot eight is tremendous. Uh he he was a guy I got to see quite a bit last year on the prep school circuit. He played at Sunrise Christian, which plays on the same circuit as Montverde, which includes uh the two IU freshmen, Jalen Hutchfino and Malik Renault. And and Grady Dick at six to eight, I mean, he knows how to hunt shots. And he knows how to make shots. He, he is, in, for my money, might be the best freshman three-point shooter in the country. And, and I think was up there, take class off the table. You know, he, he's certainly one of the more dangerous guys. Um, so I think they've got a lot of weapons, you know, out there on the perimeter. Um, I, I don't know that they have really a great matchup on the interior for Trace Jackson Davis. And, uh, you know, Bill Self even talked about that a little bit yesterday, that they kind of got one guy – KJ Adams, who's around six foot seven or so, uh, who's who's defended somebody like Trace Jackson Davis, uh, who's a little taller, a little longer, but has unbelievable quickness. Um, and, and I think if you know if Indiana can 
get the ball to trace in spots where he can maximize his quickness, that's something that IU might be able to use an advantage. Now, they can't just stick him on the block and leave him there like they did against Arizona. Um, you can't ask him to just overpower people because that's not his game. And, and it actually takes away from his quickness, that second jump that he has, things like that. But if Indiana can get him the ball and get a little bit of space for him uh, and move the ball well enough to where they can't double him all the time, you know, like Rutgers did. Um, well, well, Rutgers tripled him at some time, at some points during that game. But if you can create some space for Trace, he might be able to have an advantage in that game. Jeff, what were your biggest takeaways? I know it's hard to to fully analyze it without Hood Shafino out there, but uh, they've talked a lot about the backcourt bench and the utilization of Tamar Bates and Trey Galloway uh, just in general over the course of this season. Arizona's a very fast-paced team. How did you feel overall in relief with extended minutes that Bates and Galloway did, and how is that something that uh, can build towards stronger performances down the line, uh, even in a game against Kansas tomorrow? Yeah, I mean, I think Tamar Bates is a guy who's who's starting to come on a little bit. You know, you, you look at his last couple games, um, you know, he, he's starting to make threes. His last two games, he's six for 11 from three. Uh, that That's certainly the, something that really helps Indiana. You know, he, he had 19 points against Nebraska. He had 13 points uh, against Arizona. Um, you know, he, he's, a, he's a pretty good athlete. He's right at 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six or so. So he, he's got the frame to where if, if his offense comes along, you know, he, he can certainly be a really helpful player uh, for Indiana moving forward. I think he's probably one of the guys a lot of people still look at and say if he starts to move toward not his ceiling, he's not going to hit his ceiling as a sophomore, but if he starts really taking steps forward, consistent steps, you know, he, he's a guy who kind of changes IU's trajectory. Um, you know, with, with Galloway, uh, he, he had a terrific game at Nebraska. You know, goes out there, gets a career-high 20 points, goes four for six from three. He's really good when he's on the wing um, as a facilitator, a ball mover, and, and his shot making has really improved. Um, if, if he's out there and he can make some threes, that really helps IU because he's one of the players that a lot of IU opponents look at and say, well, we're not really scared of him beyond the arc. Um, so sometimes when he's out there, when other teams basically leave him, it's an extra guy that defenses can bring into the paint to just create congestion in the paint, make it harder for Trace Jackson Davis to work to even get the ball, much less do something when he does get the ball. But but if Galloway's out there, you know, moving the ball like he did last year, um, I do think now that he's he, he looks healthy, not only is he playing, but he looks healthy. You know, his his last four games after coming back in, in minutes played, you know, 23, 30, 27, and 22, that, that, that's pretty good. So I think he's, I think he's a wing that, that certainly can help IU. And, you know, he, he's a very engaged defender. He's a very smart defender. He knows how to position himself well to challenge what an opponent is trying to do on the wing. So Trey Galloway is definitely another one of those players that can, you know, be a helpful guy for Indiana moving forward. Jeff whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
Jeff Johns with us on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and themowershop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. Jeff, just your general thoughts on the Indiana schedule this year, because early on in the campaign, Mike Woodson talked about how they wanted to formulate the schedule like it was comparable to the NCAA tournament. Have they done that? And just your thoughts on the Blue Bloods that have all popped up on the schedule this year. Well, I think it's a schedule that makes a lot of sense for an Indiana team that has the talent that they have. Um, you know, you, you when you, when you have a talented team, you want to throw them into the fire a little bit in November and December. Uh, playing a road game at Xavier, you know, I was over there for that game, and the building was packed. Xavier people were really into it. It was a little hostile, and hey, that's what you want your kids to have to face. Um, North Carolina has, has had its struggles, but. Still talking about a team that has, you know, Armando Baycott, Caleb Love, R.J. Davis, all those other guys. Still a very talented team. And they're a challenge with the fact that they're going to play at their speed no matter what. Up 10, down 10, doesn't matter. It's pedal to the metal with Carolina. And you have to deal with two really talented guards who know how to play at speed. That's a good challenge. And then obviously, you know, these these uh, the third and fourth of IU's marquee games, Arizona and Kansas, are terrific teams. I, I think both Arizona and Kansas are teams you look at and say, that's a Final Four caliber basketball team. Um, certainly Arizona, with, with seeing them up close. And, and they have some unbelievable power uh, in, inside with, with their front court. Um, I mean, it, it was funny kind of looking at them, you know, uh, you know with Omar Ballo. I think they list him at seven foot two sixty. And we were all like, how much are they cheating down on what he does? <laughs> 15 pounds, 20, 25? I mean, I would bet you more than a couple of quarters if you put that kid on a scale right before that game tipped off. It's 280. It, it's it's got to be 280. And it might be more than 280. Um, but he's he is a horse, and he is really hard to move. And then obviously with Cabela's and, and Carissa and all those guys, they, they, they have really talented skill players who know how to score. I mean, you look at what they did in Maui. I think it was 101 points, 81 points, and 87 points uh, against three good teams, two teams that you know are national top 20 teams. So Indiana's putting itself in position to have some real challenging games um, before it gets into the, to the heart of the Big Ten on, on January 5th. And I think that's good. Um, and I also think it makes sense for Indiana um, from this standpoint. You know, IU is still a name-brand school. They haven't had the success the last few years that they normally had. Everybody understands that. But they're still a name-brand program, and TV wants them. TV wants Indiana. TV wants to help facilitate marquee matchups. And if you have a situation where TV wants to put your program in marquee time slots, um, in, in games like in Vegas, in games like Saturday noon versus Kansas from Fog Island Fieldhouse, I think you take advantage of those situations. So I, I, think, I think it's a really good non-conference schedule for this Indiana team. Jeff, to Brendan's point about the way the schedule was set up, obviously when the game goes final tomorrow, there's no tournament bids being handed out, and I also understand that the expectations for Coach Woodson and company is not just simply make the tournament, but a win at the fog would be massive towards getting an early signature win and building the resume. Uh, if IU is going to be able to do that, and assuming as Coach Self talked glowingly about Trace Jackson Davis earlier this week, they try to limit him. Where's the biggest difference maker for Indiana to come out of the fog with a victory? Um, if it's not Trace Jackson Davis, uh, I think it's going to have to be uh, one of the guys who can make threes. 
you know, Miller Cop or somebody like that. Um, because with the way Bill Self usually defends, uh, he, he's really good at creating congestion in the paint. But occasionally to create that congestion in the paint, he, he, he will, I don't want to say give you some threes, but, you know, they may be helping off some spots where if you move the ball well and move it quickly, you can get some shots. You know, I think, uh, you know, the last couple of games, Indiana's gotten 25 three-pointers up. I think Indiana needs to stay in the mindset of needing to get points from the arc and not just becoming 100% dependent on post-scoring from Trace Jackson Davis. Yeah, Trace is great. Preseason All-American. A- absolutely. You know, everything Bill self said about why Trace is real difficult to guard is 100% true. But I think for IU to sort of move toward approaching it, ceiling, or just a game plan that maximizes the potential, I think they got to stay – in the mindset of, you know, more than 23-point attempts per game. It makes an offense more efficient. It gives you more places on the court where you can score. And it simply keeps you from being 100% dependent upon post-scoring, which is not necessarily the most efficient offense, and especially here in 2022. Jeff, along the same wavelength, if Indiana is able to pick up a win tomorrow at Allen Fieldhouse, what would have been the last biggest road win for Indiana that comes to your mind besides possibly the one tomorrow? Um, wow. Last real, real big road win. Um, uh, probably Romeo's here when they went up to Michigan state. I think Michigan state was top 10 in the country and Indiana was having all kinds of problems and they went up there and just, you know, shocked everybody. Now that would probably be the biggest, that I can think of off the top of my head, true road win. Um, you know, they've, they've had some good neutral site wins, but uh, I would say, yeah, Romeo's year, knocking off uh, top 10 Michigan State uh, up there in East Lansing, probably the one that comes to mind first. Jeff Rabjohns from Peaks.com with us on his ride to Allen Fieldhouse. Jeff, enjoy things tomorrow, and we'll see what the Hoosiers can do. Absolutely. And before I go, by the way, just uh, shout out to Brian Newbert. Uh, Purdue beat writer. Uh, he announced that he's having uh, brain surgery. So I think a lot of people in the basketball world know Brian Newbert. So just shout out to Noob. Uh, all the best moving forward. But hope he does. Hope he's comes through well. And I uh, just want to let everybody know. Let Noob know we're all thinking about him. Absolutely. Thanks, Jeff. Take care, bud. Jeff Rabjohn's with us on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers plus service and power tools. Final. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Power on a Friday, Brendan King, Jimmy Cook, and Eddie Garrison. There is a little wintry mix on the circle right now, boys. It's supposed to be five degrees. Ugh. It is supposed to be five degrees in Indianapolis next Friday. Don't I have a whole week until I have to have to have that on my radar? Why well, you gotta break my heart now? Well, I would argue it, in the winter, th- this like forty degree crap in the winter, it just feels gross. It all feels gross, man. Yeah, I I would rather just may, maybe it's the Maybe it's in the Chicago windy yeah. city in me. I'd rather just be miserable instead of just stop teasing me. With, just bring it on just already. Just bring it on. Yeah. Anyway, six degrees 
in Indianapolis next Friday with a minus six low. That is something that the Colts will not have to worry about tomorrow because they will be indoors at U.S. Bank Stadium. Not the same case if you're a Buffalo Bills fan. There's nine inches of snow on the way. They haven't moved that game to Detroit yet? That hasn't happened yet? I don't believe so. Uh, Kevin Bowen's joining us on the fan on the Mower Shop Hotline. Kev, appreciate the time. Hey, tomorrow is going to be an all-time like dad sports day for you if you got to take care of Max because you're going to need like three TVs going. You got the Colts, you got IU, you got bowl games. I mean, that's a great dad day for you, brother. It certainly is. Um, I am a little bummed. I don't know how you feel, Brendan. I feel like you you probably feel a similar sentiment as me. I am a little disappointed we don't have the Crossroads Classic though anymore. Mm. I, I was yeah. always yeah. Just such a fan of tomorrow. The downtown, the four fan bases, you know, again, as you know, Brendan, I'm one of seven Notre Dame basketball fans in the United States of America. So uh, (laughs) it was never a very strong Notre Dame contingent in there. But, you know, obviously Butler had great success in those games, and I really enjoyed it. So uh, last year we had, you know, Crossroads Classics feeding into Colts Patriots at night, which was – quite this Saturday, um, but as you said, tomorrow, man, uh, depends on what you want, but you got to be quick as a channel changer, I assume. Kansas IU start things off, and then Colts Vikes at one, and uh, yeah, what Purdue, there'll probably be a little overlap, right, between Purdue-Davidson and Butler-UConn, so uh, yeah, it is a great day, and if we get this wintry mix like we've got right now, perfect time to curl up on the couch. The iPad is the critical sixth man. In that True. whole operation. That's because a good point. You can, That's have, a good point. you can have the TVs going on, but then you got the iPad with like maybe a game that you're only kind of focusing on. It's a, it's a difference maker for sure. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, unfortunately, and and you boys will be there one day. The iPad usually is probably reserved for a little yeah. like Sing One or Sing Two or Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and who am I kidding? That's probably more on the TV. I'm probably more relegated to sports <laughs> on the iPad, but. Uh, bedtime will be welcome tomorrow night because, uh, like we said, a little Davidson Purdue, and we'll see if there's some Hinkle magic in there for Butler. Uh, we will see. I will be in the building, Kev, so that should be rather fun tomorrow. All right, let's talk shop in Minnesota tomorrow. Kev, the injury report has been released. Kenny Moore will miss the game, and we were talking yesterday with Matt Taylor, and we were talking about his pregame scout of Justin Jefferson We may see Stephon Gilmore versus Justin Jefferson, but with the way that Minnesota likes to move Jefferson around the offense, it'd be really helpful if the Colts had Kenny Moore, which they will not. Yeah, and I know some Colts fans might laugh at this, but no Brandon Face on either, um, who I do think has had a couple of better moments here as of late. So, you know, you're missing two of your top four corners. Um, as you said, as much as I would love to see the popcorn matchup of Stephon Gilmore versus Justin Jefferson, just not how the Colts have really operated with Gilmore this year. You know, if you move a wide receiver around, particularly putting him in the slot, uh, Gilmore is unlikely to travel. Again, we'll see if they change that up at all, but I'm not expecting them to do too much. So it's a great opportunity for Isaiah Rogers, you know, when he gets those matchups on the other side. And then in the slot, I assume it's going to be Tony Brown, who's really been more of a special teams guy for you this season. Um, so th- this is going to be a very difficult matchup. You know, I would put Minnesota's skill group right up there with just about any in the NFL, certainly the ones the Colts have played this season with T.J. Hawkinson and Adam Thielen and Dalvin Cook. And, um, you know, it- it's a really dynamic skill group. And it does look like they're going to get a couple of offensive linemen back who have missed 
in recent weeks, and that I think has been an issue for them, particularly running the football. But Jefferson's a stud. He's arguably the best player in the NFL. Um, thought I saw a stat the other day. He's the first player in NFL history with 1,400 receiving yards in each of his first three seasons. Hmm. Um, so it is darn remarkable what he's done in the league. And, you know, I was talking to Gilmore this week about it. I'm like, you know, what stands out? And I don't know if there's like the one dominant trait, you know, like Calvin Johnson is size, Tyree Kill is speed. With Jefferson, it, it's just, I think it's very few weaknesses. Um, and he just has an incredible ability to um, find the football and, and make contested catches, which we've certainly seen this year. So it'll be quite the challenge coming off that 220-yard game he had last week. KB, if the Colts still had something to play for outside of the 3% chance to make the playoffs, you'd be looking at this pass defense from Minnesota potentially having optimism of, okay, maybe this is an opportunity for Matt Ryan and company to attack a weaker passing attack. Is that being overblown, or is the reality of it that there is a real opportunity for Matt Ryan, however, however many games are left with him as a starter, to shine against Minnesota tomorrow? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, yeah, I'm not holding my breath for all of a sudden Matt Ryan to throw for 350 and three touchdowns right. and, you know, 75% completion percentage, et cetera. Um, but there are some things on paper you point to and think, this is kind of like the Raiders matchup a few weeks ago. Now, again, Minnesota's dysfunction is nowhere near where the Raiders were at that point or, or still are, you could argue, just with their inability to close games. Uh, but Minnesota, I mean, it, it's some ugly numbers. And I'm sure you guys have talked about it all week long of, you know, the five straight of over 400 yards of total offense. Every quarterback in that stretch is thrown for at least 300 besides Dak Prescott. And he was pulled early. Um, and their pass rush has been very quiet as well. And they've got some names along that defensive front that you would expect to get out for the quarterback. Now, they've got one of my favorite players from the Notre Dame ranks and Harrison Smith back in the lineup. Yep. I think he's a very key cog in the back end of that defense, getting everybody on the same page. Uh, so, again, on paper, there is a little bit of a get right or you, you should have some chances, but the amount of confidence I have in the Colts passing game right now is, you know, about as much confidence I have winning the 100-meter dash in the next Olympics. It's just it, there's, there's nothing I've seen from this passing offense from a protection standpoint or uh, consistency with Matt Ryan that makes me think they're going to do something now. Who knows? Did the bye week, did, did that rest help out Matt Ryan? Because I feel like he, he he's playing injured. Um, and I think it's causing him to be a little bit gun-shot. Someone made an interesting point earlier in the week comparing Matt Ryan to Phillip Rivers. Uh, I thought it was something I hadn't really heard. You know, when you watch Rivers throw the football, it, it's obviously a weird motion. And there was that propensity at times to kind of throw off his back foot or, you know, kind of throw some, you know, with some awkward motions, you know, things like that. Basically saying he was used to in his career not having a perfect pocket, and he kind of had to alter things to be as accurate as he was late in his career. With Ryan, I'd say he's played from behind a little bit better offensive lines. And then I'd also argue just from a throwing motion, he's a little bit more of, I need to step into it. And I just see a guy right now that lacks so much confidence in stepping into it. And, again, I understand that. The offensive line has been a big issue. But it feels like when any ounce of that pocket starts to collapse or crumble, then he crumbles. And that's just obviously not a recipe for any sort of success. 
Kevin Bowen's on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com for all your snowblowers and commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. Kev, if we're gunning for the reverse curse type of thing, we did it. Everybody on the fan Twitter picked the Vikings to win tomorrow. Any shot in your mind that Jonathan Taylor could have his best rushing day of the year tomorrow? Getting to hold my breath on it. Um, it does seem like, you know, if there is an area where Minnesota has struggled outside of that pass defense, it's their ability to run it. And I don't think they've been a dominant run defense. Again, pass defense has been their bigger issue. Um, but I just think the blueprint's out there with Indy. You know, you, you can suffocate those outside receivers because they're not going to do anything down the field unless it's a jump ball to Alex Pierce. And then you can load the box a little bit with Taylor. Um you know, there are some things on paper that I, I've been looking at this week thinking, okay, why does Vegas have this as a four-point spread? Because I don't, you know, I don't see it. And, again, I would think it would be t- where Minnesota struggled with the pass. Uh, Dalvin Cook has really, really been quiet in recent weeks, and that feeds kind of into a cult strength of Grover Stewart and DeForest Buckner controlling the line of scrimmage. Now, like I mentioned earlier, Minnesota is getting a couple offensive linemen back, so I do wonder if, if that – it kind of negates itself to be as big of a area of a strength for the Colts. Um, I mean, the Colts offensive line, I guess, is healthy compared to, you know, not having Braden Smith with Dallas. But, um, you know, Taylor, I, I, I just, without the support of a passing game, I just, again, can't sit here and think that all of a sudden you're going to be, you know, 130-yard game where this time last year, again, we talked about it a little bit earlier, Colts-Patriots, you know, even with New England low in the box, you know, Taylor was still able to rip off that, that big run late to put that game on ice. It just doesn't seem like that same, you know, potency is there uh, to get those big chunks in the run game. And, you know, when you had the success against the Raiders last month, it was a Raiders team that was really struggling against the run and had a slew of injuries at linebacker. Minnesota is on a short week, but they seem to be in a much better health situation uh, than some other teams that have played against the Colts this season. So, um, you know, Taylor, you're you're used to being just consistent and reliable with, with a really high number. But, again, I just I can't sit here and say that, hey, pencil them in for 80 or 90, like I felt like was an absolute lock last season. So, Kevin, in that same vein, I've listened to you and Jake. I've listened to John. I've heard me and BK this week. It's clear tonally where this team is at. We know it. The, the fan base knows it. They're, they're not going anywhere. We're already uh, posting, rightfully so, uh, who the next head coach might be or, or potential uh, draft prospects that'll be there wherever the Colts end up picking. I know everybody in West 56 is playing for jobs. Everybody in the NFL at this time of year is playing for jobs next season if you are not a part of the postseason. With that being said... With Matt Ryan starting and Jeff Saturday being so confident in him, and I know what's he going to say? Oh no, Matt Ryan stinks, and we're going to like he's not going to bash a player. But what is to be gained from Matt Ryan being under center, other than it gives Jeff Saturday his best chance to continue to put together a coaching resume if that's what he's doing on the fly right now? Uh, I would say nothing. Um, I know that's probably. You know, I don't know, maybe some people would be like, it's kind of a harsh answer. That's what I think. I, mean, I, I don't think it's harsh. Yeah. I, and again, there's multiple reasons why I would say that, Jimmy. Like, again, I don't think that Matt Ryan is your best option right now. Um, I think he's hurt. And again, maybe the bye week will help him out. But like, 
and Nick Foles not throw the ball from you know you to Brendan in practice right now? Um, you know, this is a guy that's getting paid a whole lot of money to not take a single snap for you when you've had the most turnover from the quarterback of anybody in the league this season in Matt Ryan. Uh, and I mentioned this earlier today, and I know San Francisco's kind of been pushed into a corner here, but you know San Francisco is getting an answer on a young quarterback on their roster in Brock Purdy right now, whereas the Colts refused to play Sam Ellinger. Um, and again, I know it's two starts. The first start I thought was honestly pretty good. The second start looked like a guy that was facing Bill Belichick in his first ever road start. Um, I'd like to see Ellinger a little bit more to get a clearer answer on him with your roster. Um, again, I know that is a little bit more long-term thinking. There's the financial component with Ryan. Uh, him due, I think it's about $17 million in roster bonuses. In 2023, that would become guaranteed if he were to get hurt. That would cause for concern with me and throwing him out there as well. Um, so outside of just Jeff Saturday wanting to improve his resume and thinking that Matt Ryan's the best option, uh, there is nothing to be gained. Matt Ryan should not be starting quarterback for this football team next season. Um, that would be a mistake. Um, and honestly, again, I, I don't – think he is the best option right now like if you're going to go try and win a football game tomorrow in minnesota you need a quarterback on your roster that's going to give you the best chance i tend to think it might be nick Foles, but again i don't say that with like the premium confidence which is another reminder of just how sad your quarterback situation is and that matt ryan might honestly be your best option right now again i don't think he is but again in the colt's eyes they believe he is and, boy, when that dude has the most turnovers of anybody in the NFL, and it's not like he's offsetting those turnovers with gobs of big plays. You know, Jimmy, you certainly can live with a Patrick Mahomes interception during a game because you know he's going to give you two or three plays that no one else in the league is going to give you. Right. Matt Ryan's not, not, not doing that. So I just think that's what adds to it. And it's just the harsh reality of the season of if you're going to be bad, don't be old at quarterback. The Colts are bad and they're old at quarterback. And that is just the awful combination recipe in the NFL. If you're going to be bad, if you're going to be the Chicago Bears, at least you got Justin Field. Yeah. At least you're getting him out there and getting his feet wet. And, you know, when the Colts were 3-13 and and Peyton Manning's first year, Peyton was throwing the most picks of any rookie in NFL history. And you know what? He was learning a whole lot. And clearly he benefited from that. The Colts are not getting any of that. And it just seems like such a waste of a season for the Colts, particularly at the quarterback position. You mentioned Ellinger earlier, KB. My thought is, and this is if I'm trusting Jim Irsay and the front office, the fact that he's not number two on the depth chart, the fact that he's you know healthy scratch, whatever you want to call him, means that in their mind they've seen everything they need to with Ellinger. Is that a fair observation? And I, I know maybe you don't agree with, in your mind, that we've seen everything, but do you think they've seen everything that they've needed to see in Ellinger? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I let me make this very clear. By no means do I think Sam Ellinger is a franchise Right, no, I know. I know. Yeah. You know, I, I want to make that really clear. Um, so I understand, you know, reasons why you might sit there and say, hey, in two games we saw enough. Uh, again, I still think you can find an answer of like, hey, do you think he's a definite backup moving forward? And that would be a nice question to be answered to where you don't have to pay Nick Foles the amount of money you're paying him, or Matt Ryan the amount of money that you are paying him. Uh, I guess to answer your question, I don't think that is their rationale. I think Jeff Saturday is living 
can be very much of, I need to win football games right here and right now, and Jeff Saturday is going to side with the veteran guys at that position. I think that is exactly what his thought process is in having Matt Ryan as the number one and having Nick Foles as the number two. Um, you know, when they benched, when they wanted to bench Matt Ryan earlier in the year, a.k.a. Jim Irsay, um, he felt like Sam Ellinger gave them the best shot in the short term. Um, so that obviously is a stark contrast for how, how Jeff Saturday views the situation right here and right now. You know, I just think with sixth and seventh round quarterbacks, I don't know how much it necessarily applies, but I think such an issue that teams have with young quarterbacks, they're afraid to put them into games. They're afraid to see what might happen. And I've said this quite often, but I mean, there's no position in sports that differs more from practice in a game than NFL quarterback. I mean, you guys go to training camp. I mean, if a player were to sniff that line at training camp, that dude would get, like, kicked out of practice for getting too close to the quarterback. The quarterback literally wears a different color jersey. And so with Brock Purdy, you don't know what you have until you put him out there. And I think with Ellinger, again, it was two games. Uh, it, by no means was it like, here are the keys to the franchise. But it wasn't also, this dude should never play another snap in the NFL. Um I would throw him out there just to get a clear answer, similar to what you're doing with Bernard Ryman at left tackle. You know, Ryman playing him, it gives you a great evaluation at a critically important spot. And if Bernard Ryman, who I think has had some better moments as of late, if he ends the season well and you get to the end of the year and you sit there in your room and, you know, Chris Bauer or whoever the decision makers are say, hey, we think Bernard Ryman's the left tackle of the future. And the Colts are right on that. That is a huge, huge part of this rebuild not taking as long as on paper right now it looks like it could take. Kev, you've alluded to him a couple times, what happened on Thursday Night Football last night with Purdy. Is that is seeing him succeed a little bit more frustrating, you think, for Chris Ballard and the Colts regime that you've had all these problems at quarterback? And to be fair, Brock Purdy and the Niners, they got more weapons than the Roman Empire for him to throw to and give the ball to, and the Colts don't. But is right. it frustrating more for the Colts regime that literally the last pick in the NFL draft is going out there and having success when the Colts just can't find an answer repeatedly? Yeah, th- th- there is probably some truth to that, BK. Um, I, great analogy, by the way. Um, I felt like I was back with Jake there on the Roman em- Empire. You're welcome. Um, uh, analogy there, and again, you know, it's not like even had Debo Samuel with him last night, but yet George Kittle and Christian McCaffrey can still do that, and they've got a hell of a defense, and the Colts would be very wise to pursue D'Amico Ryans in the head coaching search this offseason based off what he continues to do with that 49ers defense. I'll go here with you on that one. I don't know if Purdy would frustrate me as much as somebody's playing golf right now. I mean, what are we doing? I'm sorry, I'm driving by a golf course. I'm like, you know, I love golf more than the next person, but boy, you got to really embrace the game to be out there. There is no off season, Kev. You know that. No off season. Yeah. I feel like Happy Gilmore in the in the batting cage, getting ready there, 365 <laughs> days out of the year. I would say the most frustrating aspect to quarterback in the Colts right now is this: you look at the AFC standings, and I don't have them in front of me, but I believe this is correct. I think you have nine teams right now that are above 500 in the AFC. Nine of the 16 teams. All nine of them drafted their quarterback, but Tennessee. Tennessee's the one team that did not. So eight of the nine drafted their guy. All nine of those quarterbacks were taken in round one. 
and I believe eight of the nine were chosen in the top half of round one. I think Lamar Jackson is the only one that was not. And, again, this is me going with Zach Wilson, who I think has started the majority of games for the Jets. Obviously, you get a little finicky with that one. But basically what I'm getting at with all of that is it's a clear and most obvious path to try and find long-term success in the NFL, and the Colts have refused to go down that path under Chris Ballard. That is what would frustrate me the most. Uh, Jim Irsay has been very public with comments, and I know a lot of people laugh at these comments of saying, you know, I want multiple Lombardi trophies in a in a decade. And, you know, for a team that hasn't won a division title since 2014, I understand why people laugh a little bit at it. But you know what? That's what Jim Irsay wants. And as a Colts fan, I would nod my head and say, yeah, that that should be the goal. And the best chance to try and get to that goal is by having a quarterback that you've identified in the draft have taken early, and you've grown with that QB and built around that that quarterback. So to me, that would be a little bit more frustrating than Mr. Irrelevant, you know, doing what he's doing. Because, again, I think San Francisco has supported Brock Purdy, certainly much better than the Colts have supported whoever they've put under center. But I think the more frustrating aspect to me is the Colts have that does not create the best opportunity for them to win uh, in the short term, but more, more importantly, I think, in the long term as well when it's pretty obvious in the AFC what is winning. KB, I discussed this on the pod with you earlier this week and how I felt that Brock Purdy was more successful in the position he's in right now because of the pieces around him also having success because I think that San Francisco offense is a system play. Uh, But when I was watching that game last night, I noticed two things. One, offensively, the 49ers have a lot of speed with their skill position players. Number two, the San Francisco defense is really fast. And number three, when you watch the Colts, they lack speed. I think there's a lot of truth to that, um, particularly, I think, on the offensive side of the ball. You know, how many times, and, and you're watching San Francisco with Devo and Kittle and McCaffrey and even Brandon Ayuk, you know, when those guys touch the football, defenses get scared. There's not one player on the Colts roster outside of maybe Jonathan Taylor that when they touch the football, I think a defense is scared. You know, think of yards after catch. How minimal has the, have the Colts been in creating those sorts of chances? And this goes back several years. Again, outside of Taylor, you know, Naeem Hines didn't tap into much of that. I mean, Campbell's had a play or two, but even when Campbell was healthy in his first few seasons, we've never seen that 4-3, 40-yard dash speed um, to, to the full effect. I mean, Michael Pittman on a crosser here or there, but, again, guys that break tackles, guys that make you miss in the open field. I mean, I think back to Sunday night football against the Cowboys. If you were to, like, freeze frame D.D. Lamb's catches right at the catch point, like right when he caught the football, you would have never thought D.D. Lamb had the type of night that he did in making those plays with the ball in his hands, yet he did that. And a lot of it is post-catch and breaking tackles and making guys miss in the open field. Um, you know, when I watch San Francisco a lot, I see that. And I just see, in general, more offensive creativity. I, I love watching San Francisco play because I see formations, motions, um, just general offensive, again, uniqueness, I guess, that I don't feel from the Colts. And I know they've simplified things like time with Parks Frazier, an offensive coordinator, but I even felt that way earlier in the year of, um, it's just a team that lacks some dynamic playmaking, 
and I thought some dynamic creativity as well. Kev, I think I asked Chaff this earlier in the week, and again, maybe I'm just reading too much into this, but it felt like that Jeff Saturday is mentioning the best chance to win and Matt Ryan having him under center. Let's say they lose and they're out of playoff contention after this weekend. I think the Titans still have to beat the Chargers. Who knows if that happens, but to officially knock them out. But if that finally puts the nail in the coffin on this season, let's say for the sake of argument, the Colts go in a different direction at quarterback, whether it's Foles or whether it's Ellinger. Does that frustrate you more, less, or indifferent that they aren't already starting now when barring this team taking a massive transformation that hasn't been seen over the course of this 14-game season at this point, uh, they're, they're, they're not going to the playoffs. Yeah, I will be curious, you know, if and when they get mathematically eliminated. And like you said, I think it's pretty much Colts lost, Titans win. I think one of those wild card teams would need to win as well. Jets, Patriots, Chargers, one of those teams. Um, you know, do they make a move at quarterback? And honestly, do they just play any of the other young guys? Like, you know, I'd like to see more Jelani Woods. I'd like to see a little bit of Nick Cross again. Uh, what about Dallas Flowers playing some corner now that you're a little banged up there? I don't know. Maybe Flowers will be involved tomorrow that you're a little banged up a corner. They drafted a couple defensive tackles, and we barely – we haven't seen Curtis Brooks at all out of Cincinnati. Uh, Eric Johnson was the other one out of Missouri State. Maybe we see a little bit of them. So, outside of quarterback, those would be some other positions and just young guys I'd be curious. I'm not holding my breath they would do that. Uh, because, again, Jeff Saturday's focus is much, much different than I think big picture organizationally. You know, if, if they were to go to Ellinger, you know, it probably would frustrate me just a little bit because I do think there was a missed opportunity in getting that true, true evaluation. And, again, I want to fully acknowledge by no means did I think Ellinger – it's not like Ellinger was a second-round pick that you've sat on the bench. I mean, he was picked number 200 and whatever he was for a reason – um, so, yeah, I mean, there would be a little bit of like, man, you continue to run Matt Ryan out there when the playoff percentage chances were single digits for like three straight weeks. And yet, you know, once it's officially zero, that's when you decide to make the switch. Uh, so that would add a little bit of frustration with that. But again, I'm not, I know it's been weird decision making, you know, for those in the organization, particularly the highest of the high within that organization. But, I just, I'll believe it when I see it that they would do that. It just, it doesn't strike me as anything Saturday would would want to entertain. Again, like why isn't Ellinger at least the backup if that was your thought process at all? Um, it just doesn't even seem like that's that's really on Saturday's radar. Kev, last thing, I know a lot of frustrated Cubs fans right now that the Cubs have not spent. Uh, are you a frustrated Reds fan? I think I'm an apathetic Reds fan, man. Agreed. Um, you know, which is just sorry, and, and I know it's a loser mentality, and I hate saying that out loud, but it, it's just not even like I walked into it thinking, oh, man, I can't wait for the Reds to make a bunch of moves. And it's going to be a fun, you know, week or two. Like, like the, the, That thought never even crossed my mind. So it'll be the glorified Louisville Bats playing, you know, at Great American Ballpark next season, and – It'll be another year that by Easter time, I'll be like, oh, man, the Reds are already out of it. Well, you've got Mr. 162 million Carlos Rodon sitting to my left right here. So he's uh, he's a lot happier than us. Uh, appreciate the time, yeah, Kev. Have, have a good weekend. That, that is quite the staff uh, there in Yankee Stadium. Hey, bring some Hinkle magic tomorrow night, BK. You got it, brother. Let's get a dub.
All right, man. You guys have a great weekend. See you, Kev. That's Kevin Bowen on the guest line brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. For all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools, 